0: question, easy question is, why are we even studying this? Why have we spent all of August uh, studying predestination? Why is it a worthwhile subject? Guys?
1: So I think if we're we're studying the Bible, we want to make Bible, so it is the truth that God has given us. Uh, as followers of Christ, we want to understand what it is that the Bible says, so that we can understand what it is that we believe, or what it is that we
0: should believe, uh,
1: and then understanding it helps us as we talk to others and we share our faith and we teach. We should know what the Bible says. We should know what God has God has had to say about things, and so I think doing things like this, studying it in a, in a, in a, a setting like this, allows us to ask questions, helps us understand, it helps us um, know what God has said, and, and I think that that's the important piece of study, not just this particular topic, but lots of topics, and, and God's word things that we might struggle with. Uh, it's important for us to, to be able to do so in an environment where you know, we, can, we can ask questions and have those questions uh, explained to us. So I, I think that's why we've Taking the time, extra time, to, to teach over it and to uh, to discuss it.
2: I would also add that uh, the way we grow as Christians is we read and study our Bible. Uh, this, this process is called sanctification. And everybody starts as not knowing much or, or very little uh, when we become Christians. You know, we, we don't need to understand the full uh, everything that the Bible says in order to be a believer. Uh, there are some core things that we need to believe. But as we grow in our, our Christian faith, we want to know God. And he's revealed himself to us through the Bible. And so it's important that as we are walking the Christian life, we open our Bible and we read it and there are going to be difficult texts in it and difficult doctrines that we need to um, wrestle with and and sort through. And so that's part of of what we want to do as a church is we want to set that example for you. Um, Obviously, this is something that Christians need to do on their own as well. Uh, You can't just depend on the church to teach you everything you need to know about God uh, that's our goal. We want to do that. Uh, but you also, as a believer, need to be pursuing after the Lord, and we want to help you and, and help you think through how do we make sense of the difficult passages in Scripture, uh, and even you know a difficult doctrine such as election, uh, we want to help you all think through that as well. And so what one of the reasons we're wanting to study this and, and other things like it is we want you all to grow as believers. We want you to be mature in your faith. We want you to know what the Bible says, uh, and so like Matt said, we can accurately and clearly share
3: that with other people yeah i agree with that um first of all i just saw myself on the screen up there sorry i didn't wear blue today apparently that's uh we all kind of blend in if we're in blue uh so sorry about that but yeah i agree with what they're saying first of all i think it's true um it's it's in the bible and so it's true um but also it's important for us to know because it's a it's a matter of trusting god right if god has has Put it in the Bible for us, then that means that he thought it was um, good for us to to know and to think about and to study. He he thought it was important enough. Um, you know, I think about John's Gospel at the end there, where John says that if he had written down everything that Jesus said or did, uh, you know, the, he, the world couldn't have contained all the books. And if we think about all the things that that God knows and all the things that are true. Um, about God, there, there, not, there wouldn't be enough books to contain all of that information, and yet this is something that God decided that would be good for us to know, and decided that He wanted to reveal to us. Um, and, and so I think I think we should think about it, study it uh, for for those reasons. Um, and then also, as we're gonna as we're gonna talk about later on, um, I'm sure uh, knowing knowing this and thinking about predestination and and how God being sovereign. Um, affects us and affects the world around us, helps us in, in lots of ways. It, it gives us a, a foundation against, um, against some some thinking. It, it really does give us a foundation for evangelism. It doesn't make evangelism harder. Um, it, it should make evangelism easier. It should make missions easier. Um, it should make um, us more secure in, in the Lord and in, in, in the salvation that he's um, provided for us um, because ultimately he's the one that has done it. Um, it doesn't rest on anything we've done. It all rests on on His grace toward us and, and His purpose in um, in glorifying Himself. And so He's He's tied our, uh, as Jake said, our sanctification, our whole salvation. He's tied that to His own glory. And so the only way for our salvation to fail would be for His, uh, for Him to glorifying Himself to fail. Um, so. All right. Good.
0: Well, I want to start off with the first question. Okay? Y'all did a good job answering that. Why is there so much confusion or so much bad teaching out there in regards to this? Even getting into why it's kind of taboo at a lot of churches to not even
3: talk about it. What do y'all think? Um, I, I think uh, well, we talked the first week about things that, that we don't want to say, things we don't want to believe. And one thing that, that I said was we don't want to overemphasize this this doctrine. Um, but we also don't want to underemphasize it, right? We don't want to make too big a deal about it, but we also don't want to ignore it. Um, I think one reason that may be the case is because um, in in different denominations, in different places, at different times in history, um, this doctrine has been overemphasized. Um, is, and, and people have made um, too big a deal of it, made, made a much bigger deal about it than, than the Bible does. Um, I think some people have, have taken it too far um, in, in different ways. Um, and and so because of that, people are kind of kind of skittish of it. I think sometimes church leaders are kind of skittish uh, to talk about difficult things like this because um, it, it, I think the, the perception is it can have a tendency to be kind of divisive, um, and and I think people ultimately are kind of kind of afraid of that. You know, the saying "Don't don't rock the boat." If things are going well, then you don't want to don't want to introduce something that might um, upset some people or or might might cause some divisions. Um, but um, as we also talked about the, the first week here, uh, it's, it's important to know because God's revealed it to us, and so we want to we want to think about it. What are some examples of people taking it
0: too far? Maybe not by name, but just an example. What do you mean taking it too far?
3: Yeah, um, there there have been believers um, throughout the history of the church, and and and, and even now, I'm sure, who um, there have been people who say that we should not uh, do mission work because if God if God has already elected certain people to be saved then he's going to save them um, either, either with our help or without our help he, do, he doesn't need us um, and, and so so that that's taken it too far. Um, there have been people who have said um, kind of related to that that you don't have to believe um, you don't have to believe the gospel you, you know God has has justified us and saved us um, from eternity past um, and, and so believing or, or even hearing the gospel is not is not necessary. Um, there have been people who have said um, uh, that God. There, there have been people who kind of view, view humanity as kind of neutral, and that God has has decided of those neutral people, um, some of those people he's gonna he's gonna punish, and some of those people he's gonna reward. Um, and we would say that that's not the case. The Bible clearly says that all people are guilty before Him. All people are sinful before Him, and the doctrine of predestination is God. Uh, choosing to be merciful and to be gracious toward uh, toward his creation, toward certain individuals of his creation, um, and, and those who are punished are punished for uh, for their own sin, not because he chose arbitrarily to to, to punish them. Um, there's certain. I'm sure there are other things that have gone too yeah. far that I'm not smart enough to remember right now.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay. You ever tried anything that went too far? Never.
0: Okay. Gotcha. All right, I have a a list of questions here if you guys don't get to any, but we want to answer your questions. So, uh, because I'm on the microphone, I'll repeat what your question is, but what questions do you guys have? Any question? That's a great question. Okay, so her question is, uh, we know that there are believers that do not believe in predestination, and God saved them, and so if if God's the one that reveals truth and the Holy Spirit's the one that reveals truth, why didn't he reveal that to them? I'm glad I'm in this seat and not that one. All right. I, I
1: think throughout history uh, of of people studying scripture, teaching scripture, theologians, you'll find that there are differences of opinion, right? And and as people study God's word, depending upon uh, the approach that they take, the um, the the thoughts and feelings that they bring to their study that they have of their own, so their their own beliefs ahead of time. Maybe they're bringing presuppositions to the, to the text. Uh, there, there are times when people can proof text or find a particular text that they, that they want to camp on and say is the main thing, and they tend to uh, limit or diminish other text, which is something that we, we try not to do. Um, I, I think the reason that we have differences of opinion is because when we read Scripture, we have to approach it the same way. And over history, I think you'll find that lots of different theologians have approached the study of Scripture differently. They have different religious practices and and things that maybe were in their past. All of those things are brought into the interpretation of, of, of Scripture. Now, we don't believe that there's disagreement in God, right? We believe that God has presented a clear, cohesive message. He has given us everything that we need, everything that we need to know about him has been revealed through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. So um, in, in, in reading and studying, I, I think when Mamble taught, he was trying to show us that um, there are certain things that we all disagree on, right, with this doctrine. And so I think the first night that he, that he taught, that's what he was showing was, these are things that we don't want to think about this. But then there are people who study scripture who support their beliefs uh, and, and understanding in a particular way with certain scripture. And then we would look at uh, another thought process that uses scripture to support. And I think that what what, what we're trying to, to to convey in the teaching that's been been brought forward is if you take the whole counsel of the word of God and we try to think through it as best we can with human minds, uh, we're settling on uh, this way of understanding the doctrine of election based upon all that we understand, all that we know, looking at it from multiple different angles. So is there room for us to disagree on things Absolutely. Is there room for us to say, I don't fully understand how these two things mesh together? How is it that we can be held responsible for our sin, but yet God is still sovereign and in control of those things? And we say that that He has elected uh, and predestined us, but yet He still holds us accountable for the, uh, the sins that we commit and, and our following of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those, there is going to be a judgment, right? Uh, but, but we also understand that, that God says that, that, that he has chosen us. So how do those things come together? And it's okay for us to say, I don't fully understand all of that. I don't fully understand the mind of God, but to the best of my knowledge, to the best of the understanding of the word of God, I'm going to trust God where I don't fully understand um, how we think about time, all the concepts of, there's lots of things that we could talk about that specific to things that we don't fully understand. How is the God outside of time created time? Because everything that we think about as humans is related to time, right? So we begin to think about things, about a God who exists eternally. There's places that our minds have a hard time understanding, but we we readily accept. We readily accept the fact that there is an eternal Uh, God who created us, created uh, everything about us. He knows everything there is to know about us. We accept that through faith. And through the reading and understanding of God's word, where he has taught us specifically uh, about election, about predestination, we seek to understand it as best we can from the counsel that we have in God's word. Uh, And one other thing I I would say as it relates to this is, When we look in the Old Testament, we see God electing to do things. We see God selecting people, and we don't have any questions about that as we read the Old Testament. It's only when we get to the New Testament we start reading specifically about election and predestination sometimes that people have trouble. We don't ask why did he choose Abraham? Why did he choose Moses? Why did he choose Noah? All those people were elect. They were chosen by God. He worked in and through their lives they were still responsible for how they responded. They're still held responsible for their following, but they were still chosen by God. And so um, I, I think to, to, to kind of bring all that together, uh, we understand it the best that we can, and uh, from studying God's word, from reading from, from other uh, theologians who, are, who are, you know, are, are much smarter than myself, um, we're doing the best that we can to do uh, an accurate interpretation of the doctrine uh, as it's presented in, in God's Word. And that's what we're teaching you. That's what we're called to do as pastors. We're called to accurately teach God's Word to the best of our abilities. And I, I think that's what that's what we're going to continue to strive to do each each and every time we meet together is to teach the truth from God's Word to the best of our abilities. And if, if I don't know an answer, hopefully you know me well enough that, that, that I will say I don't know and where I don't know, I, I trust God. Right.
3: Um, I th- so I think... Three things, um, and I'll try to try to be brief. Um, one, exactly exactly the things that, that Matt has said, um, and and Matt says, you know, we're trying we're trying to understand this with a human mind. And, and remember, we're not trying to understand. And, and Matt said this, we're not looking at one verse of scripture, and and some people understand it one way, and some people understand it a different way. That happens sometimes. But what we're talking about here is we're looking at several passages of scripture that say. Uh, certain things and several passages of scripture that say other things, and those things appear to be difficult to put together, and we're trying to put them together, right? Um, and and so I think that's one reason we're doing that with, with a human mind, as Matt said, but not only a human mind, we're also doing that with a sinful mind. And so, um, you know, we think of sin normally as affecting um, our will or our desires, the things that we want, the things that, that, that we love, the things that we like. Uh, we think of sin affecting our actions, the things that we do, um, but but sin affects all of us, and so that means that sin also affects the way that we think, and so we don't always think rightly, we don't always understand things um, rightly. Um, and, and then the, and then the second thing, I think I'm going to change my three things to two things. Um, and then a, and then a second thing, um, you know, some some theologians have have made an analogy before of of God revealing Himself to us as. Um, an adult uh, speaking to a child, right? And so if a kid asks you, if like a two year old, three year old asks uh, their mom or dad a question, the mom or dad, they're gonna answer it truthfully, right? And they're gonna gonna give them the the truth and the right information, but they're gonna do it in a way that a two or three year old can understand. Which means, um, think about someone like Einstein, I don't know if he had any kids or not, but if his kids asked him, what do you do? You know, What is your job, what do you do for a living? Well, he's gonna tell them the truth, but he's not going to explain to them what he, you know, all the intricacies of what he does. because they can't understand all the intricacies of what he does. And and so God is revealing Himself to us. But God's not revealing all of Himself to us, right? He's not revealing Himself um, fully. He's revealing Himself truly. Um, but He's not get, telling us everything about Himself. And He's re, the things that He are, is revealing to us about Himself. He's doing that, you know, in a way that um, uh, one one theologian said, and he, he lists. To his to his children the way that a parent would, would talk to a child um, you know and and so the, the Holy Spirit's working that in us um, the Holy Spirit's revealing these things to us as we're studying the word um, but we're all in different stages of, of, of that process we're all in different stages of the Holy Spirit um, sanctifying us and, and the effects of sin changing and, and being removed from us and, and us growing in, in different ways uh, we're, we're all kind of in different different stages of that and, and, and we're doing the best we can um, by the by, the power of the Holy Spirit to understand God's word um, and we do that in the context of a church so that if I misunderstand something you can help correct me and if you misunderstand something uh, one, of, you know, one of the other members can help help correct you and this is why we study the Bible in uh, Sunday school classes a men's, men's Bible study, women's Bible study those kind of contexts where we have discussions about what the word says because, um, because I can learn from you all you all can learn from me we can all learn from each other God, God uses each of us Um, And then I would remind you of um, 2 Peter, where Peter's talking, and and this is one of the followers of Jesus who was there and heard the words of Jesus himself directly, Um, and yet he still says, um, starting in verse 15, he says, also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. And so Peter, one of, one of the followers of Jesus, one of his disciples who saw him face to face, heard him with his own ears. Um, he, even he says that there are things that are difficult to read, to, to understand in Paul's letters um, because there's some things that are difficult to understand. Um, And so we we do the best we can with the Holy Spirit. We do it humbly, um, willing to be corrected. And and I love the first part of of your question of how there are people who I disagree with on certain topics that are heroes of mine in in the faith. Um, You know, really really faithful pastors that have served churches for many, many years and and have had lots of fruit in their ministry. and, and yet, we may disagree on, on one thing or another, but but that doesn't mean we can't learn from them in other places. And um, even people that are that are still alive here today, we can still cooperate them with them in, in certain certain ways, in certain contexts, and certain things, even if we disagree on specific um, points of doctrine.
2: Yeah. So specifically related to the Holy Spirit, like you asked, um, we live in a fallen state, like like uh, both of them have already stated, and. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking to the Ephesian church about the new life that we have in Christ. And he's talking about how things are different, how things are made new. And towards the end of the chapter, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, He goes on to say, do not let the the sun go down on your anger. He says, uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him do honest labor. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But then in verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so we all understand that even though we have been renewed by Christ, we are, we are a new creation, those things that he listed, we still do sometimes. We still do let the sun go down in our anger, and we still do not speak the truth all of the time. And so we have to understand that it is possible, even though he says not to do it, that we do grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think because we live in a sinful state, we are not perfectly always obeying and listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And for that reason, it may lead us to come to different conclusions on, on things. Uh, and so just just like what they were all saying, uh, I think that is, is clearly one of the reasons why there's not universal agreement in everything that we read on the Bible. Uh, is because of all the things that they said, but also because as sinful people, we... Unfortunately, sometimes do grieve the Holy Spirit and maybe misunderstand
0: the truth that He is revealing to us. Great question. Great question. Another question. Anybody? Just to repeat the question, real quick: uh, Would we talk about Moses and Pharaoh? uh, Moses, Moses, having mercy from God, and and yeah, one gets judgment, one gets mercy. Moses and Pharaoh.
1: So in, in in relation to uh, Moses and, and, and Pharaoh, the the thing that I, I, I go to when I when I read of those accounts is that God says that He will harden whom He will harden. That doesn't mean that Pharaoh didn't harden his own heart. If you read the account of Moses going back and forth with Pharaoh, we see where Moses is is calling on him to let the people go just as God had told him to do, but. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and at a different time it will say it says that God hardens his heart. Um, God chose to, to harden Pharaoh's heart, according to Scripture, so that he could bring about his purpose, which would be his glory. God is, God is working through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and, and the terrible circumstances that resulted from the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, meaning the plagues and ultimately the death of the firstborn. God used all of that to bring his people out of bondage and slavery and set them free and and send them into the the time where they would be heading towards the promised land. Now we know through their sinfulness they didn't get to go directly there. It took them a generation of marching around in a desert um, to to eventually get there. But God worked all things through those situations and uh, as to why he chose to use Moses And why he he selected Moses for that particular task and why he showed him mercy, Uh, even though Moses was a sinner. We know Moses was a sinner. Moses was guilty of murder Uh, in addition to uh, other sins that I'm sure that he committed as a man. God still chose to use him. God chose to to, to cause him to be a great prophet and leader of his people, and, and he showed mercy upon him. Uh, God's mercy shown upon him was not because of any good thing that Moses had done. We we, we know when we read in the, in the New Testament, we're to believe that God's mercy is not shown based upon our good works or how, how great a person we are. So God used Moses. He chose him out of his grace and mercy. I don't fully understand why he chose to use Moses, but he chose Moses to use him in that time. He chose Moses. To harden Pharaoh's heart, so that his glory would be brought about and his people would be led out of out of Egypt. Um, I, I'm reminded also of the scripture uh, that, that we actually, I believe, it was last Sunday that we talked about, it, um, where uh, Paul's answering the question of why does God do those things in, in in Romans nine, I believe, is where it's at, and he says, "How can the potter you know, How can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way?'" And I think when we look at those situations. Um, We're seeing the glory of God on display. Those people were brought out of slavery for God's glory. God ultimately worked things through according to his plan and his purpose. And we don't fully understand it. But I think when we look, especially back at the Old Testament stories like that, we see God's sovereignty. we, We see God's hand in things. We see God leading and working in the lives of his chosen people. Uh, but the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is, is definitely one thing that we look at specifically that we have we have a hard time understanding and saying why would God do that? And ultimately, my only answer is to bring about His will, His way, and His glory.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would just add to that that um, <laughs> uh, you know I said before one of the one of the reasons that that it's good to study this and talk about this is because God has uh, revealed it to us and, and shown it to us in His Word. Um, but there are other things that God has not revealed to us and not shown us in His word. And I think that I think a, like a direct answer to your question of why was God merciful to 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 Moses and and not to Pharaoh? Um, I don't think there's I don't think God's revealed that to us. I think the Bible says that that it was to glorify himself, as you said. Um, and and the other the other aspect of that that I would that I would add is God made a promise back, you know, years before Moses to Abraham. That it would be through his descendants that salvation would come, and it would be through his his descendants that he would undo what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, um, and and so Moses was in line with that with that purpose. Moses was in line with that promise, um, but but beyond that, you know, God hasn't hasn't told us.
2: Yeah, and I was just going to add. I mean, they've essentially answered the question, but. Um, that example is given in the context of that whole discussion in Romans 9, where we're basically asking the question, well, then, I mean, if God just chooses who's saved and who's not, well, then how can God find fault in the people that are not chosen for salvation? And then he brings up the example of Pharaoh. And in verse 17, it says, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. But then if you look forward to verse 22, Uh, Paul says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, which he just said he was doing, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory. And so, quite honestly, if there were not people who are not elect, then those who are would not know what it means to experience God's mercy and God's grace. Uh, and so, again, it's, it's that answer that kind of leaves us unsatisfied. feels like it's not really the answer, uh, but I think that's, that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, and, you know, that's what we have to come to terms with.
0: Good question. Thank you. Another question. Yes, sir. All right, good question. So the question is, uh, how does this influence missions? Uh, how do we think about missions with this? And then, uh, second question is: Does this encourage? Does this doctrine encourage a missionary? Yeah. So, if we look at the very next chapter
2: of Romans, Romans chapter ten, uh, we have a, a great encouragement here. Um, hold on. So. Paul is asking this question in verse 14. This is Romans 10, 14. How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so what Paul is saying is the only way people can believe and come to faith in Jesus is by hearing the proclamation of the gospel. And so... That is, Paul is, is giving that, uh, this, or he's having this conversation right on the heels of talking about Romans chapter 9. And so some of us might think, or some people that study the doctrine of election would think, well, if God's already chosen who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, that's the end of the story. We're done. You know, it's going to be completed. But then Paul goes on to the next logical conclusion and says, well, actually, if people are going to know and believe and, and worship Jesus as Lord and Savior, they need to hear. Someone needs to preach to them. And so then he, he quotes Isaiah and says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so Paul's logical conclusion to the doctrine of election is that should motivate us all the more to then go and to preach. Because even those who God has chosen They're only going to come to faith through the proclamation of the gospel. And so I think the doctrine of election, on the the contrary of thinking that it would cause us to not think missions are important or to think that we don't have any responsibility to do it would be the exact opposite. And it would encourage us to say, hey, I've got the message and maybe God has chosen some people and... Me simply being a person who's going to bring the message is what God is going to use to save those people or to bring them to faith. And so I think it should be an encouragement to missionaries knowing that it's not up to us to make people saved or to get people into the kingdom of God. It's simply up to us to, to share the news. God does the rest of the work. We simply get to be part of the process by being obedient Because you got to remember what he he called all of his disciples to do in the Great Commission. He told us to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that he had commanded. And then he promised to go with us and, and to be with us. And so his command as he left was to go and to teach. And now even though Paul just got done talking about this doctrine of election, his response then to that is go and preach.
3: And, and we see that, Drew, in, uh, it, when Paul's in Corinth. We see what Jake's talking about, how, how it was, especially how it was a, an encouragement to him. He says in, it's in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed, Paul shook his robe and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent." From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, uh, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. And then verse 9 says, the, Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Um, and, and so one of the encouragements for Paul to stay in Corinth is he knew that God had people in that city. And that he knew that if he stayed there um, and, and, and preached, uh, you know, he was there for, what did it say, a year and six months, if he stayed there that long and preached the gospel that long and uh, and taught in the churches uh, that that were in the church that was being established there that long, uh, that God had many people in that city and God was going to raise them up through Paul's preaching, um, and so that was encouragement to Paul that he was going to use him, um, and and that his ministry would be would be successful. Yeah. Do you yeah. Read that?
0: So Josh just Josh Womble just read from Acts chapter eighteen with Paul in Corinth, and we have a question coming back saying. Uh, you're saying that those people that God tells Him to stay there because they're going to believe are at the time unbelievers, and yet the doctrine of election is comforting Paul because there are people there that God is going
3: to save. That's yeah, what He's asking. I think so. Exactly. I, I think so. Um, you have an ESV Bible? Mm-hmm. Would you read Acts 14:27 and 28? I think it is. It's it's a little more clear in the in the ESV, I think, if that's the right verse. 14. Chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. All right, this is Acts 14, 27, and 28.
2: And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained a little time, no little
3: time, with the disciples. No, well, that's the same same thing. That was the wrong verse, but it's okay. Um, but, but the same point is there, that God is the one that opened the door to the Gentiles, right? There, there are other passages in Acts, that's what I was looking for, um, where it talks about how a, as many as God had appointed to believe, had faith and believed um, the the preaching of Paul or the preaching of uh, of Peter on their mission. So yeah, absolutely. I think in that passage, those people that God has in Corinth are people that have not yet believed, but that will believe, and that's why Paul stayed there that long. Um, I believe that's that thirteen forty eight. Yeah, that's thirteen forty eight.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with with that as well, and I and I think that knowing that. Um, should give you comfort and it should give you boldness because it's not with the effectiveness of your words that people are persuaded to believe. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the believer. No. We're told to proclaim the message, the good news of the gospel to all with the understanding that God has those who will be saved. And we can proclaim with boldness. We can proclaim with with joy, not with a weight that as long as we are proclaiming God's word, the truth of God's word and, and his gospel message that God will work in the hearts of, of those who are lost and that we've brought to salvation. And that's freeing for, for anyone who should, should be looking to spread the gospel message, whether they be a missionary on the field, a pastor, or, or just a believer who's witnessing at work. Because we're doing nothing more than saying what God has already said. And we're expecting that His word will not return void, and that He will save the lost. And that, that is a uh, that is not a reason for us to shy away from uh, evangelizing or spreading the gospel. It is a reason that should embolden us to spread the gospel. Because just as God told, uh, or just as He was told in Scripture, God said, "I have many people here in this city." And for, for any, any uh, uh, person who is a believer in Jesus Christ, we can have that same that that same faith that there are because time has not ended. God has not uh, has not stopped time and, 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 and said okay that's that's it we're going to you know bring bring the dead in Christ to me and, and we're going to stop time. Since there is still time
3: there are still those who are yet to be saved. No. Yeah. And and the problem that evangelism answers and, and missions answers the problem is not that people don't know enough. Right? If, if the problem were that people don't know enough or people don't have enough information, then us giving them information could affect their salvation. Or, and, and the way that we give it to them, the more persuadable we are, um, would have an effect on their salvation. But the problem is not that people don't know enough. The problem is that people are hostile to God. And the problem is that people don't want to believe in Jesus. The, 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 the problem, the Bible says, is that we're in rebellion to God. And so the solution to that problem is not to give people more information, the solution to that problem is the Holy Spirit has to change a person's heart so that where they used to be in rebellion against God, now they're submit to God. Where they used to be against God, now they're, uh, now they're for God, now they're accepting God, right? And, and the Holy Spirit's the one that, that makes that transformation, and he uses information. He's revealed himself in, in words, in, uh, in, in language, and so he uses information. To do that. He uses the gospel to do that, but it doesn't hinge on how well we present the gospel because the problem is not an information problem. It's not an understanding problem. It's a, it's a heart problem that has to be changed, right? And, and, and uh, Matt kind of alluded to it. We, we know the end, right? We've, we've read Revelation. And so we know that at the end, there will be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation who will be worshiping Jesus, right? We know that that's true. And that's true because God's going to do that. And the way he does it is through his missionaries. And so um, and so a missionary can have confidence knowing that God's going to do the work because God's already said that there will be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation uh, worshiping Jesus on that, on that day.
2: Well, and, and God says to Jeremiah, when he's calling him in chapter one, he says, I am watching over my word to perform it. But he says, you need to be obedient and go. Okay, so God is the one watching over his word. He's going to make sure... It accomplishes what he sends it out to do, but yet Jeremiah is still responsible to go and to do what God is telling him to do. But yet God is the one bringing
0: about change in in people's hearts and ultimately salvation when we talk about mission work. Hmm. We don't want to take the time to think about it now, but if you take their, their answers, those same thoughts, and then start thinking about therefore ministry, it's a huge shift therefore from the quality or attractiveness of a ministry
3: as compared to the faithfulness of a ministry. Big difference there, and and if you and if you think about, you know, we did, we didn't make a big deal about labels over the last few weeks. But if you think about Arminianism and Calvinism, right, the the view of predestination that I presented two weeks ago and the view of predestination I presented last week, everybody, even people who say that they're Arminian in the way they understand the Bible, everybody prays like a Calvinist when it comes to salvation, when it comes to missions, when it comes to evangelism. Um, everybody prays for God to change someone's heart. Everyone prays for God to cause their loved one to believe or to cause their friend to believe, right? Everyone, everyone prays for evangelism. Everyone prays for missions um, like, like, like a Calvinist. E- even someone who says they don't understand predestination that way still prays that way. Good answers. All right, we've got about 10 minutes left.
0: Yep. How do you explain to somebody who is lost that God is good if this teaching is true?
3: Yeah, so, so my kind of additional answer would be, um, you know, if, if I'm talking to someone who's lost and they have specific questions, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer those questions the best I can, right? Um, but if I'm talking to someone who, who's lost and they're, they're not asking a specific question about predestination, Um, I'm not going to bring up the most difficult things to to talk about, right? I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity to somebody who's not asking about the Trinity. I'm going to try to explain the gospel to somebody because the gospel is the power of salvation, right? Now, in that, we know that God is good because he's provided his son Jesus to be the Savior for anyone who will believe, for anyone who will turn from their sins and, and trust in Jesus um, God's promise that he will receive them God's promise that he would save them that he would wipe their sins away um, that he, was, he would adopt them as his son or daughter into his family um, and, and we know that that's true and that's true for anybody that will do that um, and, and so we know God's good because God provided a way for salvation if God had not chosen to save uh, some people and, and provide provide uh, a, a way for that to happen then no one would be saved right no one would ever be saved. Was that? Yeah, good, good point. <laughs> yeah, she said even if that was. Were... So
0: the question now is, um, how do we understand that God is always good if He's not saving everybody?
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. For a believer, like how, how does the, how does the believer trust that God is good, um, no, knowing? We're trying to wrestle with these with these ideas. How does someone still trust that God is good? Um, I would say very briefly, and then I'll, then Jake can jump in. Um, I would say very briefly: we know that God is good, right? The Bible says that God is good, and and we can trust that because God says that. And any 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 time we're reading the Bible and we begin to question whether God really is good or not, the problem is not whether God's good or not. The problem is with our understanding. And so in, in that situation, I would – it's, it's, it's easier to say than, than to do, obviously. But in that situation, I, I would continue to trust that God is good, and I would pray uh, to God, to the Holy Spirit, to help me to reconcile how his goodness is true in, in, this, in, in that specific situation. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I was just going to share Psalm 115, verse 3. is a, a very interesting verse. It just says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Uh, And that's all it says. I mean, obviously it's in context there, but uh, God clearly is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. But as Wamba was saying, the Bible is very clear and it says over and over again all throughout that God is good. That's just part of his character. That's part of who he is. And so whatever he pleases to do, we can be confident that that is good. And so when it comes to a tough doctrine like the doctrine of election, which for us Quite honestly, it's really hard to wrap our minds around it and to come to the conclusion that this is good. Because if some are chosen and some are not, for us, in our earthly natural thinking, we tend to go to the to the extreme of, well, that's not fair. How, 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 does, how does that work? How is that okay that some people aren't saved? And, and perhaps if we draw it to its logical conclusion, some people can't be saved. Um, but we have to understand that the Bible is clear, that God is good, that's in his nature, that's who he is. And he does whatever he pleases. And election is one of the things that God has chosen to do because it pleased him. Uh, and as we learn from Romans 9, uh, it shows us what grace and what mercy really are. Because apart from, from that, perhaps we, we would have no idea and we wouldn't know how, how great and awesome his mercy toward us is. Uh, and so I would just say, pointing to that verse, whatever it is that God does, it's good because that's in his
3: character. And it, it, it's, this is difficult, but it's not unique, right? There, there, there are events that happen in life. There are experiences that, that people have that, that make us at sometimes question the goodness of God, right? Why does God allow certain tragedies to happen? Why does God allow certain loved ones to die, right? I could I tell y'all stories from work. Why does God allow certain things to happen to, to certain kids, right? And, and yet, He's good, He is
1: good. I think the, the the thing for for me when we think about God's goodness is that <clears throat> we have experiential knowledge and in, in, in reading in Romans it, uh, we we have um, creation we have we have experiences that are that are good things and all good and perfect things come from God and. And as we, you know, as Womble just mentioned, there are things that are bad. bad. Bad things happen. Bad things occur. People die. There's lots of situations that we would look at and we would say, well, that's bad. How could a good God allow that to happen? And, and I think that, again, that comes from our frame of reference. We're, we're looking at something that happened as a result of the sinfulness of man, the fallenness of the fallen nature of the world. Uh, now that sin is in the world, and it's marred. Everything is marred by that sin. And so even the things that we see that are good are really not as good as God originally intended for them to be. And uh, as we talk to non-believers about uh, the goodness of God, I think if we stay with the, co- the, the co- concept of we live in sin... We've done wrong. We all have done wrong. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our, our reward or our wages for those sins is death. But in the goodness of God, he chose to save some. He chose to save those who would believe upon his son, Jesus Christ. And not just believe upon his son, Jesus Christ. He actually sent his son to earth to take on flesh and live the perfect life that we couldn't and take our place in death. He took our sins upon his own body and he received the wrath and punishment of God in our place. And so when we begin to talk about the goodness of God, we need to understand the goodness of God in relation to what he did for us. Not only did he create all things, this wonderful world, this universe that we live in, Not not only did he give us life, by knitting us together in our, our, our mother's wombs when, when we were conceived. All of those things were done for us. But then in addition to that, in our sinfulness and our rebellion, he still loved us enough to send his son. And that's hard for us to understand. Why would God send his own son to die in my place? It's only because of his goodness and his love. And for, for a person who has lost if we're talking to them about the gospel message, Wamble said you start with start with the gospel message. If you understand who God is and you understand the love of God and the goodness of God and what he did for us in Christ on the cross, then we begin to discuss the other things about God and we can continue to discuss the wonderfulness of God and the things that his word contains that are that are Oftentimes difficult for us to grasp because God is too big and too great and too wonderful for our minds to fully, completely understand and 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 wrap our 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 thoughts around. But that's a life process. That's a sanctification process. That's a growth process. And the great thing about when we're talking about election is that I don't know who that is. I don't know who's saved. I'm not walking around with some special knowledge that lets me know who I should or shouldn't talk to about the gospel. Going back to Drew's question, that's another reason we should talk to everyone about the gospel. Because we don't know who will be saved. That should embolden us to talk about the goodness of God. And if they're looking for an example of the goodness of God, we start with Jesus Christ. We start with the forgiveness of sins. We start with with that renewed life, that, that new heart that he gives us. And then we'll experience the goodness of God. And we won't be able to contain it. We'll have to share it.
0: Amen. Sometimes we are bad at determining what's good. We need to admit that. Sometimes we're bad at determining what's good. And also, it is good to punish bad things. It is good to punish bad things. If you're a parent, you need to know that. All right, Max? Yep, Yep, that's a great question. So he said a lot there, um, and we appreciate it. No, we appreciate it. That's great. Um, So two questions, all right? One, what is hyper-Calvinism? And two, what is the role then in man's responsibility considering, for God so loved the world, the whosoever will passages, God doesn't want anybody to perish. What's man's role in his responsibility and hyper-Calvinism?
3: So I want to answer the second question. I'll let y'all answer the first question. Y'all can answer what, y'all can answer what hyper-Calvinism is.
2: Well, I can give you a simplistic but, definition oh, of hyper-Calvinism. Go, go ahead, Jake, and, and, I'll wait. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm answering in order, Womble. Uh, and 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 Womble kind of alluded to that earlier. I think he basically described it without giving it the label hyper-Calvinism. But hyper-Calvinism is basically taking Calvinism and election to the extent that we say uh, that we don't need to evangelize, that we don't need to share the gospel, we don't need to do anything, we don't need to do mission work, let's bring everybody home, because if God has chosen and God has elected, then it will happen. And I think what it does is it negates our responsibility that that Jesus gave us, the command that he gave us to go and to make disciples, uh, just assuming that God doesn't want to or won't use us to accomplish his purposes and so I think that is kind of i a, a I'm sure there's more to it than that but I think that's a general idea, a general concept of what hyper-Calvinists would believe is they would say we don't need to share the gospel we don't need to be evangelistic because God's chosen and those chosen will be saved. Is that sufficient? Anybody want to add to that? Did
0: you repeat the second question? Jake jumped in front of me and I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> what is man's responsibility in light of the whosoever will passages? Yeah.
3: Uh, so I'd say I'd say that man's responsibility is 100% and God's responsibility is 100%. I don't think it's some I don't think it's something where God does 90% and we do 10% or God does 50%, we do 50%. It's not a it's not a it's not a it's not a combination at all. Uh, and, and in one sense you could say that it's 100% God's responsibility and 0% our responsibility. In another sense you can say it's 100% our responsibility and 0% God's responsibility. And, and that's really confusing. I can see by your face. But here's, here's what I mean. <laughs> those, spaghetti, those, spaghetti noodles are all, those spaghetti noodles are all getting twirled together. Um, but here, here's what I mean by that. Nobody will be saved unless God saves them. And nobody will be saved unless that person chooses to turn away from their sins and believe in Jesus. Both of those things are true. No one will be saved unless God saves them, and no one will be saved unless they choose to turn away from their sins and believe in Jesus. Now, you, you mentioned that um, you know God quickens—I forget exactly how you said it—but God quickens the heart, God quickens the soul, and then those who respond are the elect. And I would say that's exactly right. Um, but I would say that God only quickens the heart or the soul of the elect. He doesn't quicken everyone because to be quickened—that that, quickened—is kind of an old, old. Uh, an old English word for just to be made alive, right? You cut your fingernail to the quick; you cut it to the living part, and it hurts. And and so to be quickened is to be made alive. And and so God makes people alive, and they respond to that by um, by believing in Jesus, by turning from their sins and believing in Jesus. God changes the desires of the heart, and the response is that, that we believe in uh, in in Him. Uh, back in our in our Baptist Faith and Message series, I don't know what date it was, but back several weeks ago. Um, Josh Green preached on on that on regeneration, and so uh, there's that sermon online if you want to go back and, and listen to that to get his his uh, sermon on that. Um, as far as the the whosoever passages go, that's exactly right. Anybody that will believe can be saved. The problem is nobody will believe because nobody wants to believe until God changes our heart so that we do. Right. So John three sixteen, uh, you know e- whosoever. Uh, wants to, can. No one wants to until God changes them so that they do want to. And then all who want to will, will believe. Um, and, and, you know, there are passages like the one you quoted about how God wants all people to, to be saved, right? And, and that's true. The Bible says that. So we have to say that that's absolutely true. But everybody, whether they're Arminian or Calvinist or, or however you want to look at, it, everybody believes there's something God wants more than he wants all people to be saved. If, God, if, if that's all God wanted, then all people would be saved, right? Because Jake just quoted from, was it Psalm, Psalm 115, that the Lord's in the heavens, he does whatever he wills. So if, if he wills for all people to be saved, then all people's going to be saved. Nobody can stop him from doing that. So there must be something he wants more than he wants all people to be saved. And so the Arminian on the one hand says, yes, God does want all people to be saved, but more than he wants all people to be, to be saved, he wants people to be free, and wants people to have the freedom to make their own decisions. And, and they have, the Armenians have, have the way that they define freedom, right? The Calvinist says, yes, God, God wants all people to be saved. But more than he wants all people to be saved, he wants to glorify himself. He wants to display his own glory. And that's not a, a narcissistic thing where God gets this, this big pleasure out of glorifying himself. He does get the, a pleasure out of glorifying himself. But the reason God wants to glorify himself is because it, that's for our good. It's good for us to see God in all of his glory. It's good for us to see God in his mercy and grace and love and kindness and all those things. It's also good for us to see God in his justice and righteousness and holiness and wrath against sin. It's good for us to to see all aspects of God's nature. Um, And so he does want all people to be saved, but he wants something more than he wants all people to be saved. And some think he, he wants us to be free to make that decision um, and, and to kind of to, to make the first step ourselves. And, and others think that, that God, more than he wants all to be saved, he wants to display uh, the splendor of his, of his glory, everything about himself to, to his people. Great job.
0: All right, let me ask a final question here to, in, to encourage you guys. Uh, Jake and Josh and Matt, if y'all could recommend one good book that they could write down they could buy on Amazon tonight or something like that, uh, what book would you recommend that's in this direction? So I've got a a very fitting one for you, Max, and and for anybody who's
2: thinking along the same lines as as that question. And this is a great one because you can find it for free, a PDF on the internet. You don't even have to buy this. It's called, Does God Desire All to Be Saved? And so I think that's very fitting. It's written by John Piper. Um, People may be familiar with him. I even jotted that down because I thought that question was going to come up. Um, But it's a short read. It's not super long, but it's very helpful, very informative, and I think that would be very uh, helpful
3: for you. Jake has a notebook where he has notes written down, by the way, just so y'all know. <laughs> I from, prepared. Hidden behind his music stand. Um, I, I, I have two. One is, um, and they're both by R.C. Sproul, who, going back to your question earlier, Jerry, um, R.C. Sproul's a Presbyterian guy that I, that I think was wrong on, on a lot of things, uh, but I think he was right on a lot of things, too, and, and he's really helped me. Um, uh, his, his books and his preaching have helped me a lot. And so one book is, is not really about predestination, um, but, it, but it, it fits with the topic. It's called The Holiness of God. Um, and, and maybe more than any other book, that, that book has helped me, um, especially at the, at, the, at the time of my life when I read it, when I read it um, really had helped me more than any other book had. The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And then uh, a second book is also by him, and it does talk specifically about predestination, and it's called Chosen by God. R.C.'s world, chosen by God. Uh,
1: for me, I'm, I'm going to go uh, a little bit nerdier, I suppose. It's a, it's a systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. Uh, it's a giant book. Uh, I often read it in bed. You can ask Liz. I, I sit and read. Uh, but the thing that I like about the way that it's, it, it's put together, and you'll have to go to the chapter specifically on this topic, but there is a sort of a point back and forth so you can see different Uh, perspectives and views, and then the scriptures that go along with those. Uh, And and the thing that I appreciate about that is you can see, okay, from this perspective, what are the scriptures that are often used to support that? From this perspective, what are the views that that support that? And then, uh, obviously, he provides uh, his his own opinion on it, but it does kind of give you uh, an Armenian's take on things and scriptures they use, the Calvinist view, and then, uh, then obviously, a you know, uh, the set of scriptures that go along with that. The the reason that I would also recommend that book, if you're going to be studying additional topics that come along with this, uh, it's not 100% thorough on everything, but it gives you a good overview on the topics that you can then uh, go and study and find the scriptures. Uh, But but certainly uh, it's it's useful for other areas, but I, I found it helpful as I was beginning to kind of struggle with this myself.
3: Awesome. It would be helpful for everybody to have a systematic theology written by someone and Raymond Williams is really good if you If you don't know what that is it's a it's a systematic theology um, it's it's basically the Bible arranged by topics. It's different from a topical Bible, but it's basically the, the Bible arranged by topics and so or theology arranged by topics, right? So it starts out with what what's true about God and it talks about the Trinity and about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. and it talks about man and sin and the fall and And men and you know men and women and how we relate to one another and all those kind of things and it goes to salvation and Wayne Grudem is who it's by. Yep, and there's there's really good indexes in the back where you can look up specific topics, um, where you can look up people names if you want to look up Arminius or or Calvin you can look those up, and he would have you know see every time there where he quotes them or talks about them, Um, and then also has scripture scripture indexes where you can look up specific Bible passages. And, and look into those different chapters and read what he said about those. Awesome. Um,
0: yeah, and, and these guys mean this, and the four of us would say, honestly, um, keep reading the Bible. Read the Bible a lot. Read the Bible more than just you know, a verse at a time. Read chapters at a time. Read books of the Bible. Um, and, and really, this is just a wanting to know what God is like and what God has said and how does he save. All right? Thank you all so much. It's been a good night. It's been a good month. It's been a good series. Thank you, Josh Womble, for putting it together and making it happen. Thank you, Jake and Josh and Matt, for that and for the questions. Uh, Let me close us with prayer, all right? Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, the Bible showing us that you are a big, big God and there is nothing out of your control and that you do what you please. God, that comforts us and it inspires us. God, thank you that Jesus is a Savior. God, thank you for this church where there's room to ask questions. And thank you, God, for this church where there's room to disagree. And Father, thank you so much for this church where there are pastors like these guys that help us and love us and teach us. Father, it's been a good Sunday, and we thank you for it. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take the truth and apply it to our hearts. God, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.